1: Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer Squad, and the latest iteration of CARP's long-term care campaign asks a very good question. Premier Doug Ford promised and actually did crack down on big box stores breaking the rules last weekend, and it happened swiftly once they decided to do it.
0: I'm going to come down on them like an 800-pound gorilla. If they aren't if they aren't following the protocols, they aren't following the guidelines.
1: Well, that seems to be in stark contrast to what happens when nursing homes are in violation. We've seen inspectors' reports ignored and homes themselves complain that when they really need help, it takes too long because the bureaucracy kicks in and starts dotting eyes and Crossing T's instead of reacting on an emergency basis. By the way, today's Ontario numbers include 27 deaths in long-term care. Also, we've had a look at the government's specific guidelines for triage, which you just heard about in Bob's News. In other words, who would get scarce treatment uh, resources if our hospitals are overwhelmed? And the question is, uh, will that disadvantage Older people. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's bring in our Zoomer squad. David Kravit, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi everyone.
2: Hi, Libby. Hi,
1: Hi, everyone. Let's uh, let's deal with uh, these guidelines that were uh, just, I guess, leaked this morning. The NDP is is making a big deal that they are so-called secret, as is uh, this disability rights group. I'm not sure they're so secret. I mean, in some ways, I'm glad that there's a guideline rather than leaving it to the kind of chaos we saw in New York and Italy last spring and and leaving it to individuals to make those very terrible decisions themselves, guys.
3: Yeah, well, I agree with you, uh, <laughs> Lydia, and, and a good question. But, you know, there have been uh, guidelines from the beginning uh, that came out from... NASI, the National Advisory Committee on immunization and uh, Premier Ford and his people all said they would uh, uh, follow uh, follow them what were so I think the guidelines are, are very uh, clear and they were promised to be followed. what some of us are seeing is that the the guidelines are not being followed in all cases in other words, uh, people who are not uh, working in the settings that are outlined in the in the uh, guidelines, people who are not in those categories seem to be getting the vaccine when other people who are not. Right, uh, but this who is, are this, living are getting them. This
1: is different, Bill. We're not talking about. I mean, it is guidelines, right? But we're talking yeah. about uh, if if everything is swamped in the ICU, who gets the ventilator? Gets the triage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So oh, it's, I'm sorry. It's yes. Triage, yeah. and it's basically life and death.
4: Yeah, I I think the, these things have to be in there in in the worst case scenario. If if the system is completely overwhelmed, doctors need to have a, a, a set of protocols they can uh rely upon or draw upon and and it would be the same set for all doctors across the province so that would eliminate any kind of claims of um you know discrimination based on age or ethnicity or or um um you know income but um the the question is uh, this model puts a lot of um you know the emphasis on doctors predicting how people will be in a, in a year from now you know and so they they're going to have to say okay which people are going to have the are going to have the best chance of survival in the next year and and that's a flawed practice i'm not sure how they're going to do that
1: well it's mm. it's interesting you know the it it puts it in context first of all there's a lot of preamble that says you can't discriminate based on the things that you noted uh, whether it's age. Age, age is, okay. not, no, is not is not in there yeah. specifically, but it basically says you can't discriminate, and uh, the rule that it's they want to look at who will survive their immediate health crisis for a year, as opposed to some kind of pre existing condition uh, David is is that a way a good way to well, put I think
2: it? yeah I think there's two issues number one I read the the document or I tried to read the document as you wade through page after page of impenetrable prose if you wanted to make it look secretive by yeah. uh, the way you composed I it if you, wanted, job, if you wanted if you wanted to make it look like something that you hope nobody ever reads uh, you couldn't do any better if you consciously tried it's just it's just endless. Buried in all the verbiage, however, it does mention age. as so You can't use age as a factor, and you can't use disabilities unconnected to the immediate medical uh, emergency. So on paper, it all sounds good, but the question is, in the hands of an individual uh, practitioner making that decision, uh, are those guidelines going to be you know, posed as neutrally as possible in the big issue. And I don't know how you solve it if it's a real emergency and that the disabilities association, which opposed it so that their biggest complaint wasn't so much the wording of the guidelines, but that there's no appeal that he made the decision and, uh, you don't get the treatment and or he or she made the decision. And it's unlike a train crash or God forbid an earthquake where you have, you know, immediate on the spot seconds matter and they're working their way through the victims. This is, uh, you know, you're, you're doing a pretty thorough examination. You're, you're immune from legal liability and there's no appeal. And I think that's where the, the problems are. It's not so much in the guidelines themselves, if you can ever get to them in all the pros, but it's, you know, uh, yeah, but what happens if you disagree? If yeah. it
1: if it was some kind of uh, you know, uh, catastrophic event where people were on scene making those decisions. Right. I mean, presumably if you're the person who's not getting a ventilator, you're not really in shape to challenge it anyway.
3: I mean, well, I think your bad. family might,
2: your family might. I, anyway, if that's the problem. Is, that, is there any appeal for this?
1: Well, the, the, the other question that I have, and, and Bill, I think you alluded to that when you're talking about the vaccines, is yeah. uh, the guidelines are one thing, but, you know, uh, people have unconscious biases. And I would think that, you know, if, if a doctor is standing there choosing between a young person and an older person who are kind of medically the same, um, you know, I I suspect I know how that's going to turn out. Well,
3: Libby, I think you're you're right. And now that uh, with apologies, I'm on the, on the right topic, but like David, I waded through the, the verbiage of the guidelines too. And there was one point in addition to saying you couldn't use age or sex or socioeconomic, that is to make the decision uh, that you had to look at whether or not who had the greatest likelihood of uh, survival, and they they talk about uh, surviving a critical illness as being twelve months. The third point that I think is most important was that uh, the physician is responsible for following the wishes, values, and beliefs of the patient and the patient's family, and I think that's often. What's uh, missed throughout this whole piece? Uh, we keep making decisions for uh, older adults, for patients, and not with them and with their families. and And I think if that was done, if there was a discussion, there are there are cases where the patient uh, would want to be involved and maybe would have a different opinion than the medical guidelines would uh, say. And to us, that's the that's the real key.
1: Well. Uh... First of all, in, in in this situation, I mean, I know there are some cases where the families are brought in remotely, but uh, your family's not going to be there be, if the hospitals are overwhelmed. They're not letting your family in. And you may not be in a place where you're able to do this. I guess it's it's a sign to people, you know, have your advanced directives ready. Right. Yep. David? Ab-
2: That's exactly absolutely. correct. But, but, but also, I, I think the situation that leads to the triage, and I say this, I suppose, in support of the people that did the guideline, you're trying to define something that is critical. And all, the, the subtext of the whole document is this presupposes we have a critical shortage of resources and we need to do the triaging in the first place well, how critical is critical? How shortage is shortage? When can the person get the treatment? If he can't get it, he or she can't get it right this minute. You're giving it to someone else instead. Can you give it to them tomorrow? And can they hang on? Is it the next day? Um, I don't know how you can define all that in a document. I go back to your earlier point about ageism. If it's a, or Peter's point, if it's a physician looking at, you know, two people, uh are they going to pick the younger one is there unconscious bias conscious or unconscious bias uh i don't know how you limit i think it's definitely there we heard about it in the uh the report on uh, nursing homes way back when from the royal society saying that the whole system was was in 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 a shambles because of uh, unconscious ageism in the policy uh, uh, establishment when they had all kinds of time to do the right thing, so i don 't see how you can eliminate that. I think we just have to be continually vigilant and to call it out and uh, you know when it happens and hope that the practitioners are neutral and uh, evidence based
1: well it's it 's interesting I mean one of the clear things in the guidelines is that it has to be that command table or ethics board that triggers it uh, but you know. I don't yes, know exactly. if it's going to be system wide. I mean, right now they're they're switching patients. You know, your your loved one could end up in the hospital 200 miles away. But I still think there might be kind of regional discrepancies, even with all the switching around. And and uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, let's hope this never happens. But if it does, I I don't know that it will unfold in a way that you you flip a switch and and it happens everywhere at once.
2: You're exactly right. It can't because the resources are, the discrepancies are in the resources. I mean, if you're in a region that is, uh, you know, has a lot of hospitals or a lot of big hospitals or, or there, there's an overcapacity, but it'll soon be cleared up versus there's an overcapacity and won't be cleared up for a whole week. uh, You're, you're not going to be able to avoid these, I'm afraid. But you, Hopefully, you keep driving back to the fact that the that clinical table does dec- does proclaim the need for triaging and that the triaging becomes evidence based and not based on ageism
1: well it's it's life and death triaging i mean there's triaging yeah. going on all the time in a in yes, a hospital of
2: course. yes exactly
1: uh moving right along to uh the interesting analogy that cropped up uh, long term care versus big box stores yes yes. Uh, I think uh, david you you're probably the one who wants to talk to this. oh well, it's interesting that you played the doug
2: ford uh clip because uh, I recorded a commercial it's on the air right now, yeah, on this exact topic last week, I sort of anticipated uh let's see what happens if he does come down on the big box stores why where were they when it was time to come down on the nursing homes and so the this the the uh, uh, you know discrepancy or the difference is painfully clear. Uh, the big box is no no mystery. I think number one is medically a good idea to come down on them, but also he was taking a lot of flak. Let's not forget from small businesses. Why are you letting big box stores open and not smaller retailers? So he had to show, you know, uh, some uh, muscle in that on that file, but no such similar muscle was shown. Uh, we're still, we're still having the bureaucracy, you know, all the different things, this latest outbreak in Barrie now and that nursing home, there's about five different agencies involved. And the ministry's announcement is we're working with our partners to stabilize. So it's again, multiple people communicating and convening and committing. Where's, where's the muscle, uh, uh on this file?
1: Yeah, Peter, I mean, uh, you know, the other last week or so, 10 days ago, I talked to Donna Duncan, the head of the Ontario Long Term Care Association. She said it just takes too long. It takes too long because of the bureaucracy, and we've heard that from individual doctors as well.
4: Yeah, the the, the whole system seems to be riddled with uh, bureaucratic measures that hold up any kind of, uh, you, you know, uh, measures that, that would uh, affect Change and, and immediate change, and, and David would be an expert on this. But um, you, you know, in, in one of the long-term care, um, uh, you know, the hearing that they're having the uh, the, the long-term care commission, um, w- one of the one of the uh, operators said they they get um, you know five different directives from five different agencies every day that have to be followed, and they often contradict each other. And uh, it just seems uh, it, the whole system is riddled with bureaucracy, and uh, i don't know how you even begin to start earning
2: they that never out. they never Libby they never created an emergency footing in the first place right. all the bureaucracy is fine if you're talking about maintaining the system, planning these changes, building more long term care homes. Increasing the the management of it as a system, as bad as it is, the management and changing of it as a system does take time. They never created an emergency structure that says, here is how we move like lightning before it goes bad. And if it goes bad in spite of our efforts, there's no emergency apparatus uh, in place that anybody can discern.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I find it incredible. And it's this uh, speaking of 800 pound gorillas, that's what this seems to be an 800 pound gorilla. And, and uh, definitely, I got to say, it does not look like the minister has any kind of handle on it. The,
2: min- the, the minister wasn't even at the press conference where he announced the phase two. Uh, the, or the, the renewed emergency. Elliot was there, the Minister of Health, the Solicitor General was there, the Minister of Labor was there, the Minister of Education was there, the Minister of Long-Term Care wasn't even on the screen.
1: Uh, so know, they were
2: treated completely.
1: The, speaking of uh, Christine Elliott, the Min- Minister of Health, there was one thing that she said in response to a question that really troubled me. And that was say. just, you know, somebody said, what about this iron ring That's around right. long-term care? And her answer was the vaccine is the iron ring. And that was, I don't know, a day before we heard that the vaccines are delayed.
2: That's right. I knew you were. Gonna say that. I, mean, I mean, to be fair to Ford, who, who's firing we are demanding, the vaccines, the, the shipment of the vaccines, the receipt of the vaccines are a function of the health ministry, not long-term care ministry. Fine. But are they maximizing the doses that they even have? Uh, are they getting? Yeah, we'll wait and see. This is. I think today is the day that they're supposed to be finished with the with all of the Toronto long term care homes en route to an early February completion of all the long term
1: care. No, it's care the twenty
2: first. So that is 21st, Thursday. Yeah. I thought I, that was a hot zone one. It was the twenty first? I thought. Right. but anyway, we're we're here in the same week. This week they're supposed to be finished. We'll see how they do. But getting back to the eight hundred pound gorilla. They are operating with the bureaucracy they have and the procedures that they have. They never stepped outside that system to create an emergency um, apparatus, let's say, and uh, that's why they keep uh, their—you know—they're—they're they're always a day late and a dollar short. Always, they're always responding late, and they're David, Would you
4: to- say that's that was the minister's? Uh- you know that that's carps biggest grievance with the minister's performance
2: absolutely absolutely yeah. i mean we could have a very interesting discussion and i think we will about what's wrong with long term care why are they doing it better in other countries and so on but if it's if i you know back up to may or june after the first wave is receding and even if you want to bend over backwards and say okay they couldn't have foreseen the first wave they were caught short uh, we had uh, uh they had to send the army and we had all these then it then it fades and what do they do nothing and now we're in now we're in wave that's the thing they never created they never created an ad hoc and of course it would be ad hoc of course it wouldn't be the permanent solution of course it would be the band-aid but they never even got the
1: band-aid ready Uh, yeah that's uh, our beef that's our beef right there and i i wonder i mean uh, immunity starts to kick in a couple of weeks after so I, it it sounds from that comment by christine Elliott, you know they're they're waiting for the vaccines to start working to take down those numbers in long term care which are now predicted to be larger more death more devastation than in the first wave
3: yes it and we're we're, see, we're, seeing it seeing that, uh, we're seeing that that uh, we're seeing that already it's you know, emphasis on the vaccines now is, is probably politically uh, uh, more acceptable because it's easier to have your photo off in front of a, uh, a crate full of vaccine vials than it is in front of a long-term care home. But, you know, it's a little like chasing the horses uh, when we should have shut the, darn, uh, the barn door. Uh, we need to keep concentrating on controlling the spread not on the vaccine, which is further and further in the future as we hear about possible delays.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
2: but uh, you actually could combine both because if you ha- if you're on an emergency footing and you have a finite quantity of vaccines coming in that you can't really control, to be fair, coming from the orders that the feds have made and now Pfizer's had some production delays, but you saying, okay, there's a finite number of people that live in these homes. There's a finite number of vaccines. What is my emergency plan to reduce the spread, to move people out, to build temporary accommodation, to rent hotel rooms and put a nurse on each corridor. What, where's my thinking outside the box to say I need a, uh, where's the band-aid? And it is a band-aid because it's a one-off emergency that's never happened before. Instead, we see in bury the new outbreak in bury is, is a classic example. Just listen to the language they're using. We're meeting with our partners. We're consulting with our thing. We're going to do our Best to stabilize. It's all process, process, process. Meanwhile, the rate of infections and deaths in that one facility is skyrocketing.
1: It's 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 huge. Um, I, I want to turn to something else. Uh, something else that that I started getting emails and letters about a couple of weeks back already, and, and makes sense to me is people in the community saying, "Wait a minute, you know, they're not planning on vaccinating older people in the community for months," and I mean. It makes sense to me. These are the people most at risk by age, biggest risk factor, apparently. And, uh you know, you'd think that if they're in the community and they're healthy, you'd want to keep them healthy. But, I mean, you know, as, as, as far as I can see, this government never had early shipments of the vaccine. Right now, the ones we have are... Delayed because of Pfizer, but, but, uh, uh, you know, by the time they woke up and decided to buy this stuff, they they were getting, you know, April deliveries.
2: I've also heard that they're vaccinating some, um, and this will be controversial, but some um, care workers who are at home. Not even in the facilities before the people in the facilities are getting the vaccine. So that's a whole
1: other. What do you mean, care workers at home? Well, let's say care I'm a, let's workers? say I'm a
2: frontline worker and I'm, I'm I'm quarantined or I'm at home. I'm not leaving. If we're fighting for every dosage, should you take care of a resident inside the home before you take care of uh, that that worker? What, I don't so know. So the worker
1: has, has is they're they're going to the worker's home. The worker goes to the vaccination goes site.
2: To the vaccine, yeah.
1: Well, they, we've I, had
2: a couple of inquiries at CARP on this topic. I, well, I don't know that it's widespread, but it's an interesting uh, subject to look okay, into. Okay,
1: you know what? That sounds to me they can't or don't keep track because if uh, if uh, worker X Jane Doe calls in and says, "I work at uh, whichever yes, facility," yes. I want an appointment, or got they a letter them. saying. Yes, yes.
2: And I wanna be careful here. I don't want to come down on the work of they should be part of the first wave. But it again it underscores that that they're they're just not on top of it in a consistent, coherent way. And I think that as bad as it is, and, and they're not to blame for the severity of the of the virus or the ease the ease with which it spreads. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that they inherited that they didn't create. But the response has been so mediocre and so late and so fragmented and so disorganized that I think we are entitled to be upset. Especially if you look at you know uh, other jurisdictions. If you look at nursing homes, we 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 see what's going on in you know places like uh, uh, Denmark or Taiwan, or so they have a very different approach to the whole thing and they're doing way better.
1: Well, yeah, so it can
2: be done. It can be done.
1: Yeah, but they have uh, very different nursing homes. Uh, yeah, they do. Asia. getting out of Ontario for a second here, so Alberta is re- relaxing its restrictions.
3: That's what they're talking about uh, doing, and it's making the b c people very uh, uncomfortable uh, because of the the flow of people between those two provinces uh, as has always happened uh, historically so why and 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 uh, people right across Alberta are asking why. At this point, we see what's going on both, both in their province and elsewhere. Would anybody talk about lifting uh, restrictions when you look at any of the charts and see that the number of cases and almost all the uh, measurables are higher than they were back in in May? And and uh, people are flabbergasted by uh, those kind of suggestions.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, there were some cases in New Brunswick, I think, record cases. They look; Those numbers look puny to us, of course.
3: They're, they're small numbers uh, comparatively, but in, in New Brunswick, they're seeing a, a huge uh, uh, surge of, of uh, uh, yesterday. I believe it was 32 cases in, in one day, which is 10 times as much as they were having uh, on a daily basis a week ago. And this is concentrated in one northern part of the province. So really, they're really concerned about that and talking about shutting down the entire province, just like we've done in Ontario uh, now.
1: Okay, uh, we've got to start wrapping things up. David, I think you're close to 6,000 signatures on yeah, the long term.
2: We'll, we'll we'll pass that this week. We're about, I think, 5,800 high 57s. And it's still going strong, and we're still getting so many comments along with the signatures. It's all on carp.ca. Uh, you can see the petition. You can you can uh, see the, the 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 level of outrage here, and uh, uh, it's really reached the point now that I think it's permanently ensconced as an election issue.
1: And Peter, what are you looking at for the next week?
4: Well, in, in apropos of the Alberta opening up a bit, um, uh. Premier Horgan in B.C. has uh, um, publicly mulled the the possibility of um, imposing a, uh, you know, basically shutting down borders and, and provincial borders, so not allowing anyone from outside the province to come in unless it's essential travel. So um, that'll be a big development if it, if it does happen. He's talking to his lawyers right now to see if it's even constitutional. But if that happens, um, we could see that happen all over Canada, especially around Ontario, Quebec, it already happens out east, but um you know we could see a, a Canada wide uh, close down.
1: Well, I'm assuming if it's legal for them, it's legal for us. And Bill, what are what are you thinking about and working on this well,
3: week? We're, we're going to be watching the uh, vaccine uh, roll out. Uh, obviously, it's not uh, going well. When when are the feds going to move and uh, find some way to get more vaccines because it looks like we're going to uh, run out, uh, uh, even though we're it's been halting in terms of uh, the ability to get it into people's arms. And we also uh, want to uh, uh, advocate that they look ahead and please do some planning now. Uh, the second shot that, that people are going to have to have is always harder to convince people to do. And uh, there are a lot of other challenges. The vaccine hesitancy, hard-to-reach populations, uh, the weak structures we have in, in, in mental health. They could be making plans for action now to forestall those, uh, but they haven't before, and will they again?
1: Okay. Uh, talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, David Kravitz. Thanks, Libby. Bill Van Gorder and Peter Mugrich. Thanks, Libby.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.